December 17th, 2021. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and we're finishing that uh, text which was censored out of the Gemara. It's uncertain exactly when the censorship took place. We generally assume it was around the end of the 16th century. Uh, it was, well, this passage is not hard to figure out why it was censored. The passage that we read yesterday describes what seems to be not only uh, just being an accomplice to the killing of, uh, of Yeshua HaNosri, but how uh, the Beit Din were the ones who determined his death and appears to be the ones who were then taking him to Skila and then doing uh, the Telia uh, al-Ha'etz as well with him. Uh, d- there are some t- details in this Beraita that are even left out and are in other versions, more ancient versions I once read about. Uh, that is, uh, for example, it describes over here how it was Erev Pesach as this was taking place. There's an additional detail in an older manuscript and it says it was also Erev Shabbat, which directly matches the version of the uh, Christians as to when this uh, execution took place. It was both Erev Shabbat, Friday, and Erev Pesach. Of course, the details contained in this passage, uh, well, uh, although they uh, are disputed amongst the Christians, and for thousands of years we've been persecuted because of claims that you killed our God, Jews, you were part of it, or you were the ones who did it, this was a passage that for good reason was taken out of the standard editions of Gemara for quite some time, because to even mention Jews in the context of the execution of Yeshua Nosri was dangerous for quite some time, and until today is somewhat dangerous. I guess we're a little bit more secure, or feel more secure that we're able to print it and talk about it publicly. But this is the rabbinic version. Now, it's not to say that there aren't different versions in the, in the world of the Hachamim, but this is one particular version in which they're describing the uh, Tiliyah, the Sekilah, taking place on behalf or by the, by the way of uh, the Sanhedrin of the Beit Din. Okay, continued the Gemara in, the, in this censored version. Tanur Rabbanan, was a Beraita, if you recall, Hamisha Talmidim Hayulo Yeshu Hanosri. Five students that Yeshua Hanosri had, well, I guess amongst others, but five primary students. Matai, Nakai, Neser, Uboni, Vetoda. Someone said yesterday, I think Morris Catton said, Matai sounds like Matthew. It does, so does Matityahu. That was a common name. Of course, these were students who began as, as Jews, as part of Am Yisrael, most of them. So it's not, uh, it's not necessarily one way or another. It was probably a common name around that time period. Anyway, here are those five students. And now this Beraita is going to describe strange deliberations, how they appear in front of the Beitin who's ready to kill them. And each one of them defend themselves in a very silly way. But the Beit Din, the Hachamim, feel uh, it necessary to respond to those claims. You find this in the Gemara in several places. There are strange circumstances, which have one common denominator, I'll describe it in a second, where there's a claim against uh, Judaism, there's a claim against the traditional understanding of the Torah, and then there's a response. And the claim is just as silly as the response, but the Hachamim engaged in these debates. It's in these circumstances, at least how I understand it, this is This is in a, these are circumstances where heretics are attacking you, they're using silly claims, but instead of just dismissing it from being inside the system, you have to work within their system and be able to cleverly respond. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if you attack me and you have no knowledge of my real, of, of my text or of my beliefs, but you're attacking with your understanding of it, I can either just dismiss If I dismiss, all the other people who misunderstand my system are going to walk away and say, he won the battle. 
Alternatively, if I can respond within your silly, wrongful logic, well, then I really won. So that's what takes place over here. It takes place elsewhere. I think I once saw this in Magen Avot of Rashbats in his commentary to Perkei Avot on Damalashiv Lapikores. He says it's all these sorts of Gemarot. That's what it is. The ability to respond to the heretic is much more difficult than a response to the believer who's having questions. The believer who has questions in his, his or her belief, you can respond from within the system. They can understand it, they can reject it, and so forth. Someone who's outside of the system, they walk away when you're dismissive of their logic, and they say, I won the battle, as do others. Anyway, here they are. So, uh, says the Gemara, uh, says the Beraita, at Yuhalimatai, this first student, they bring him in front of Betin, and they tell him, well, you're deservant of death. Why are you deservant of death? You're a follower of a mesit, of a mechashef, as we saw earlier, mediach, of Yeshua Nosri. Amar lehu, he responds to them, matai yehareg? Do you really think that matai should be killed? He's asking incredulously. Haketiv, doesn't the pasuk say, matai avo ve'erae pene Elohim? Doesn't the pasuk say that when will I come to see the face of God? Matai meaning my name. It means I'm, uh, I'm deservant of seeing God. You can't put me to death. Of course, in the Pasuk, it means when. It does, it's not a reference to him. It's a silly and, and, and it's a stupid claim. Amrulo, instead of saying, slapping him on the face and saying, <coughs> stop taking Pesukim out of context, Amrulo, in, in, tru- in truth, Matai Yehareg, Matai should be killed. After all, Pasuk elsewhere says, When will he die and his name will be lost? But again, it's Matai Yamut. Matai should be killed. Again, a silly claim with a silly response, but within the system of silliness, he responded to it. The next student is brought in front of Betin. His name Nakai, similar to Naki, to cleansed. Amar lehu Nakai Yehareg. Should Nakai be killed? He's talking about himself. He's asking it rhetorically. Of course I shouldn't be killed. Doesn't the Pasuk say you're not supposed to kill Naki? Of course he's referring to himself, but the Pasuk is referring to one who's clean. Don't kill someone who's clean. Amrulo in. They said, of course. Okay, so the Pasuk says in, in, in secret, Naki might get killed. Well, the Pasuk says, get killed, and it says Naki, you being Nakai, you claim that you shouldn't be killed. We threw a different Pasuk right back at you. Next, Atyuha Leneser. This next name, of course, is very reminiscent of Yeshua Nosri. Now, Nosri, we generally assume, is because he was from Nazareth, uh, Nosrat. Nosri is from the name of the place. Uh, Maharil, who's a later authority, who's an early Ashkenazic authority, he suggests that the reason Jews always refer to him as Yeshua Nosri is uh, for a different reason. Sure, we're admitting to that, but there's a double entendre. It says, Netzer Litzor means to be created. And when we talk about the craftsmanship of a human being, we talk about it in a regular fashion. So instead of describing him as almost a yesh me'ayin, as the Christians might describe, how he was born without a regular uh, reproduction process which brought him about, we say, no, he's nosri, he's a human being who was crafted, who was created just like everyone else. Well, anyway, here's a student, Nesir, and Amrulo, Nesir Yehareg. They said, your, your time has come to die, Nesir. He's, excuse me, Amar Lehu, he says to them, Nesir Yehareg, should I get killed? Haketiv, Nesir Mishorashav Yifre. Doesn't the Pasuk in Yeshayah describe how there'll be that Nesir, that, uh, that growth outside of his Shorashim, from his roots, uh, which will have uh, prosperity?
He thinks it's referring to himself. Amrulo in, yes, Nezer Yaharek, Dichtiv, Atahoshlachta, Mikivrecha, Keneser Nitav. Okay, they cite a different Pasuk, which also mentions Nezer and talks about being killed and in the cave. Atua le Boni, Amar lehu Boni Yaharek, the same type of conversation. Same type of rhetoric. Uh, should I get killed? How could it be? Haketiv beni bechori Yisrael. Doesn't Akadosh Baruch Hu say beni, my son? Isn't that my name? Boni beni bechori Yisrael. Akadosh Baruch Hu is describing Am Yisrael. You can't find something more existent and living than Am Yisrael. Hi, well, that's me. Of course, I'm going to live. I'm rulo in boni yehareg. You have the wrong beni. Dichtiv inanochi horeget binecha bechorecha. Of course, a reference to. Paro, but the same word, binecha bechorecha atua le toda. Here's the last of the students. Amar lehu toda yehareng. Should I be killed? Should toda be killed? Hakediv mizmor le toda. Doesn't the pasuk in Tehilim describe mizmor? We're singing for toda. You can't be singing for me if I'm being put to death. Of course I'm supposed to live. Amrulo in. I said, yes, toda yehareng dichtiv. Zoveah toda yechabdenani. The pasuk says, Zoveah lisboah means to slaughter. Is Zoveah toda. We're slaughtering, we're killing toda. So, to each of these five students who have wrongful claims, silly claims, out of context pesukim, the response is, we'll take another pasuk out of context and throw it right back at you. On that point, says the Gemara, let's make a derasha on that last pasuk. What was that last pasuk? That last pasuk from Tehilim. It said, Zoveah toda yechabdenani. Something about slaughtering a toda. Toda reference, it appears, to a korban toda. Yechabdenani will be a kabod for me. I'm at the top of that. Says the Gemara, Amar Yoshua ben Levi, Kola Zoveah et Yisro. Instead of referring to an actual slaughter of a korban toda, it's rather uh, referring to someone who slaughters his yesir, his evil inclination. Umit vadealav, but he doesn't only overcome his evil inclination, he also regrets that which he did in the past, and he verbally confesses it. That's what we call vidui. Vidui, of course, is what we do many times on Yom Kippur, but to a smaller extent, more narrowly, we do it every single day in the vidui. That's in tahanun, that's what we're doing. Vidui, it's to verbally confess my sins. Technically speaking, if you're doing true teshubah, as Harambam writes in Perek Alpha, Vilchot Teshubah at the very beginning, you have to be mefaret et tahet, you have to say exactly what you did wrong. You know, what we do in Hatarat Nedarim, even though we can't explain it, we can't say it, there are too many, uh, let's pretend we do You can't do that in uh, Vidui, you have to actually say it. So on Kippur, we go through all sorts of things that we may have done, so we kind of mention them all. Well, anyway, that being the case, the statement of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, and he's going to be coming from our Pasuk, is It's a reference to abandoning what was done wrong, but also admitting to it. The Pasuk describes this person as if he's mechabed, as if he gives that honor and glory to God in both of the worlds. Ha'olam hazeve, ha'olam haba. Uh, both in this world and in the world to come. Dichtiv, as the Pasuk says, Zoveh toda yechabdenani. First and foremost, the de- what, where's the derasha coming from? And then an understanding of the derasha. The derasha is coming from, as Rashi points out, that word yechabdenani is a little bit irregular. It's got two nuns in it. For what reason? Yechabdenani, maybe it could have said, yechabedeni. 
He'll be uh, giving me glory. He'll be giving me honor. Why does it say Yechabdenani? So we're making a derasha from the two nuns. Is that grammatically sound? Probably not. It's a derasha of the hachamim. The hachamim do it that way. In many other places, the most famous one, levavecha, bechol levavecha, say the hachamim, bechol halibot shilcha, b'shnei yitzlecha, yetzer atov and yetzer hara. But the word levavecha, which we say in Kiryat Shema, is a regular way of referring to it. Uh, you have it in many places, levavecha. It's uh, another way of expressing libbecha. So the hachamim do. So that's yechabdenani, it's a derasha. Now, what's the reference to in the two worlds? As she explains it's referring to, obviously, if a person's doing vidui, a person who has been entrenched in sin, in wrongdoing, in going after his evil inclination. Now the Mishnah, as Mahavshah points out, the next Mishnah is going to describe how when a person is brought to death, we tell the person to do vidui. The Mishnah, or what we would tell the person, continues and says, by doing vidui, by expressing what you did wrong, you're going to merit olam haba. Those are the words of the Mishnah. So it means that vidui in some way, which we can kind of understand, if it's a way of confessing what I did wrong, if it's a way of actualizing myself, being able to authenticate, know who I am, where I went wrong, and who I could have been or who I am and who I can be, well, that is authenticity at its highest. That is almost the statement of olam haba. That being the case, says Mahasha, when the Gemara says over here, when Bioshua ben Levi says, alav, that's the reference to Olam Haba. That's the statement of who I am. But then you have also the regret for the past and the fixing of the future. That's Olam Hazed. That's the rest of your life. And as a result, the statement in turn goes, if you're Zoveah Toda, Toda Milashon Vidui, Zoveah, what are you slaughtering your Yeser? Well, by so doing, by abandoning your past deeds, committing and performing properly in the future, and at the same time professing and confessing, rather, to what you did wrong, that's the kibud of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, both Ba'olam Hazen and Ba'olam Haba. Of course, the word Toda is interesting in this context, because Toda, we generally assume, means to be thankful. And over here, instead, we're talking about it being a confession. You have that all the time. Hoda'a means to admit to something. But at the same time, toda, uh, hoda'a that we have elsewhere is praise. And uh, Hanukkah is yemeh hoda'a and halil. What's, what's the hoda'a? Are we confessing to something? The way in Pachad Yitzchak, Rav Hutner points out, there's a very simple grammatical uh, um, congruence over here that in order to properly um, uh, um, uh, appreciate another person, you have to first confess to who they are to you and to what the reality is on grounds. I can say you're the most amazing person, but if I haven't actually understood and been able to level down with why you're an amazing person to me, then I'm not actually being modé to you for what you did. I'm, uh, that's lip service. So toda, yes, has that double meaning because one is contingent upon the other. If you want to be thankful, you have to first confess your reality vis-a-vis -vis that being or person. Now that we mentioned Biyoshua ben Levi, again, why, why is this coming up in our Gemara? Because the last of those Pesukim, with the last of those students, is named Toda. We cited as a response the Beitin, this Pasuk Yechabdenani. Once we took off from that, of course, if you didn't have the censored version of the Gemara, if you had rather, if you didn't have the uncensored version, you wouldn't know at all where this statement's come from, B'yoshua ben Levi. So the past 300 years or so, well, we were missing any clarity on that, it just came out of left field. Now we understand where it's coming from. Once we mention the statement of B'yoshua ben Levi in this sort of context, so we say, okay, let's flesh it out, quote something else from B'yoshua ben Levi, similarly related, but a little bit off topic. During the time that we had the Mikdash, Adam makriv ola, 
a person would bring a korban ola. Of course, korban ola is unique in the respect that it's kulo kalil. It's entirely sacrificed to God. There's no enjoyment from the person who sacrifices, no eating or benefit from the kohanim either. And a person who brings a korban ola, sechar ola biado. So then you have the sechar, the merit of a korban ola. Why would you bring a korban ola? There are different circumstances. Generally speaking, it was a nedava. It was because you were thankful for something. You brought it as a, uh, as, as your, you have goodness of your heart to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Minha, what if you brought a korban minha, which is a different type of sacrifice, bread and loaves types. Sechar minha biyado, in such a circumstance, you had the sechar of minha. So bismach betam mikdash kayam, the way it works, says Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, quite simply is, you brought a type of sacrifice, and that was your sechar, that was your merit. What are you going to do? Bismach um, betam mikdash kayam, aval. You might, as a result, say, today, we don't have a chance. Not so fast. Because if you just have da'at shefela, da'at shefela means, um, shafel means something lowly. If you have a lowly mindset, not depressed, but humble, humility is the reference. The pasuk will describe you as if you brought all the sacrifices. First the dirasha, and then a deeper understanding, perhaps, Elohim. Ruach Nishbara, the Pasuk says that Zivhe Elohim, which literally means the slaughtering or slaughterings, meaning the Korbanot, is Ruach Nishbara. Ruach Nishbara, it's equating is the understanding of the Yoshua ben Levi. A person who sacrifices all the Korbanot, Zivhe in plural, uh, well, that's equivalent to someone who has Ruach Nishbara, who has a lowly mindset, has a certain humility of character and of personality. Why is that in any way associated with Korbanot? It's important to be humble. We know that Moshe was very anav. Harambam reminds us that although we generally take the middle path when it comes to anava, we race away from any path. We go to the extreme of being very humble. Uh, but why? The Mishnah in Perkei Avot seems to the meod meod hevesh ruach. So why is it? What? Today's hot? Come on. Amazing. We have something going here, Judah. Uh, anyway, so why is that in any way equivalent? It's, it's a shame we're not a day ahead, because then you could teach it to the class. Uh, anyway, uh, why is that in any way associated? I, I, would, I would explain it as follows. Maharal has something similar. A korban, by definition, was and is purpose to be a, a statement on behalf of myself of wanting to come closer to God. Korban milashon karev. Karov, karov means the closeness of personality, but more than personality, of relationship. As a result, if I'm entering into a relationship with another, it begins with a certain healthy shefal ruach, with a certain healthy, not debasement of character, but humility of character. If I'm going to enter into a relationship with God, I'm first going to admit to his greatness, to his grand stature. And then I'll very meekly and slowly enter into it. It's the way Aram Bampri describes Ahavat Hashem. It's that slow encounter of the Almighty and then being jolted backward with Yirah, but that's the description. Alternatively, Ramban Nachmani in his commentary to the Torah describes korbanot very differently than Harambam. For Ramban Nachmani, what korbanot were was the opportunity for a person to envision themselves as if they were the animal. Instead of saying that I'm slaughtering myself in a physical way, the way others may have done during that time period, I look through the korban and I say, well, this could have been me. And the slaughtering and sprinkling of blood in a very gory and disgusting way, well, that could have been me and that should be me. As a result, what you're saying about yourself is debasing yourself. You're saying, this is who I can be. That's a korban. That's the shval ruach. So you can overcome. Now, this is Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi living long after the destruction of Mikdash. We're used to these sorts of statements from Bi'akiva. Bi'akiva living 
during the time or shortly after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, rather, he has many of these sorts of statements. It's the end of Masechet Makot, it's in Masechet Yoma, many other places I've mentioned on many occasions. He's the one, oftentimes, who says, listen, we don't have the Mikdash, it doesn't mean that we can't connect to God any longer. We might have a greater, ironically, a pas- passageway if we think about it clearly today. But here we have Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, again, calming us down, don't think all is lost, with the destruction of the Mikdash. And continues Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, continues from that pas- with that pasuk in Tehillim, not only is it as if you were makriv kol korbanot, it's as if God is never going to turn away from your prayer. Now, to interpret that before the derasha, interpret that accordingly. If I'm encountering him, not from a state of haughtiness, I expect you to respond, but from a shvaruah perspective, from a perspective which is appropriate. Here I am coming to you, understanding your greatness and feeling my humble a state of being, well, then in that circumstance, a healthy relationship with the Almighty might render whatever it means that tefilato inani me'esif, that your prayer isn't turned away. Is there any chance not coming from a more humble level? Yes. Because you're demanding it. You have a wrongful perspective on prayer. Many people do have a wrongful perspective. Many people pray and can't understand why they weren't responded to. Or many people pray and are certain that they're going to see the fruits of that prayer because based on their stature, based on their relationship, of course he's going to respond. No, Nathan, you have the right perspective. Prayer is not supposed to be coming from... So, I mean, I've, I've mentioned the Gemara Masechim Berachot describes how this is the way it should be. We don't really do this. In the Middle East, we never really did this. But in, in the European Ashkenazic world, they did this for many years. Even today, many Batekhnes, you have it. They would pray, uh, they would have the Hazan pray from a, a deep... Mimama Akim. They would make the Hazan, the Bima lower. There would be steps down to the Bima. Mimama Akim means from the depths. I'm calling out to you from the depths. That's the right perspective on prayer. We oftentimes confuse that. And again, it's what I unfortunately always remind people, at least experientially, that's what prayer is. We unfortunately find God best during the times in which we're in those narrow straits because in those times, we understand our relationship with him best. We turn to him almost out of despair. It's not that prayer needs to be out of despair. It's that prayer needs to be from a state of being of shval ruach. Anyway, the derasha is the next words in the pasuk, lev nishbar venitke Elohim lotivze. The pasuk says, lev nishbar, that's a, as, as an Ashkenazi would say, tzubrechen. It's broken, your heart, your soul is broken. Venitke means lowly. Elohim lotivze. Now Rashi points out just a few words on this. Says Rashi lotivze en darkecha levazoto, which means it's not your way to turn it away, to scorn or scoff at that prayer. What Rashi is pointing out is the simple interpretation to this pasuk. Pasuk is this is this is a request of God. Lev nishbar vinitke says pasuk in Tehilim. If I come to you with a downtrodden spirit, Elohim lotivze, please don't turn me away. Rashi says, that's not how you read it. Clearly, the Yoshua ben Levi is not reading it that way. It's rather a praise of God. When we come to you with a lev nishbar v'nitke, lo God. You're not going to. That's how we're reading that pasuk according to Yoshua ben Levi. Okay, that's the derashot here in the Gemara. We move onward to the next Mishnah, which will be followed in case you're nervous going back to Halakha world. Not so fast. More derashot to come on this Mishnah. So we're continuing with the procession toward uh, the gallows, uh, well, toward where you're going to be killed or stoned more specifically. And you're about Eser Amot away, 10 Amot. And 
namaz about a foot and a half, so about 15 feet away, Omrim Lo, we turn to the individual who's about to be executed, and we say to him, or to her, Hitvadeh, you should do vidui. What's vidui? Again, a verbal confession of sin. Sheken derech kol hamumatin mitvadin. And we say to him, furthermore, you should know every person who's put to death does a vidui. Now these next words are either we're saying to him or the Mishnah is continuing. Not clear from the text of the Mishnah whether that's a continued text or we paused and we explained. But the next words are a person who does vidui gets olam haba, merits olam haba, which we described earlier. Why is this only 10 feet away? Why don't you do it immediately before you're about to stone him and you say to him, now do your vidui, your last, uh, your last confession. Says Harambam in his Perusha Mishnayot on this Mishnah, says Harambam, if you get him really in the moment, the guy is stumped in his words, not able to say anything. All he's fearing is the impending death, which is coming his way. Get him a little bit before, his heart is a little bit broken. He's very fearful but he still has words to express himself, be able to get him at that moment. And that's his vidui then. Harambam, again, mentions this halacha. That's where Harambam quotes this Mishnah. And uh, Harambam there states very clearly, you think wrongfully that when a person gets put to death in uh, Jewish law, when a person brings korbanot in Jewish law, that is kapara, atonement. He's achieved mehila selichan kapara. Absolutely not, says Harambam. This Mishnah, the only way you're going to get that kapara is with a verbal confession. Mi'iri, that's Rabbeinu Menachem HaMi'iri, it's a Provençal, uh, the, the 13th century uh, uh, rabbi, a scholar, philosopher, and halachist. Anyway, he, he describes this statement of Harambam, of this Gemara, in the following fashion. He says, generally speaking, people believe that kapara is, a, uh, is some sort of remedy which comes from uh, outside of us. In other words, we beseech God for kapara, and through our beseeching him, through our prayer, through our request, he gives us kapara, not so. There's no such thing as a fix or a quick fix to kapara. All of these other things, the albamitot betin, the korbanot, are a conduit toward soulful introspection, which means to say, I'm about to be put to death, the death isn't going to achieve anything. The fear of death, and in turn, my introspection, the moment beforehand, that's what achieves for me kapara. I now have changed as a person because I'm staring death in the eyes. Right? Uh, I now have achieved kapara because I sinned, and I'm seeing through the korban something vis-a-vis myself. Envision it like Harambam or like Ramban. Either way, it's what I always say about Korah ve'adato, who had the first kapara, as in my mind, of this sort. Korah ve'adato have a very strange death. Korah ve'adato, at least some of them, not the 250, they are yoridim yaredu hayim she'ola. They alive descend into the depths. That's the pasuk. Pasuk parashat Korah describes them descending alive into the depths. Uh, you know, I don't know. What was that necessary for? Wipe them out. Burn them like the 250 uh, individuals at the beginning. I don't know. Let snakes uh, bite them. Uh, we have all sorts of ways God could have killed them. There's an opening of the ground and alive they descend to their death. That's what the Pasuk says. I've always imagined that as Korah, the individual who cannot understand individuality. He's the person who's always looking at others. They can't understand hierarchy. They can't understand individuality. They're always turning to others. He's always turning to the others. The only way we're going to remedy this individual, the only way we're going to make him understand who he is, who he actually is, as opposed to reflecting himself, refracting himself off of others, is stare death in the eyes for a few moments, for a few seconds. And in that moment, there's no one to look at. There's no way to determine who you are other than thinking about who you yourself are. 
in the early 20th century, early, early half of the 20th century, there was a... You're right. And Korah missed that opportunity. It was lost already. You are correct. We can only learn from the aftermath of it. I'm, I'm accepting that God had a plan and determined that Korah couldn't have fixed it and come back or whatever, but we gave him an opportunity at the last moment. Again, people get put to death in court if I'm envisioning it in such a fashion as well. I'm not giving them another, t- another chance. I'm saying for the community... But it's, this is once you're actually putting him to death. You just say to him, do vidui. We're not bringing you back to death after vidui. We're telling you vidui will remedy your soul. Right. Right. I don't know the answer to that question. Morris was asking this yesterday. I'm not certain. I, I don't know. I hear you. I hear you. That's that's the issue over here. If he already drank the wine, and the, I don't know, but if he didn't already, if he didn't already drink it, uh, Judah, so then he drinks it after this, and then we just wait until it sets in. I mean, we've all got a little buzzed at some point, and as a result, we know it doesn't happen instantaneously unless you really have no system to. Uh, but what I'm saying is, but the truth comes out after some time, right? It takes a little bit of time. So when did they? I don't know the answer to that question. It's, it's, it's a good point. Unless they gave it to him drink, drink afterwards, and then they kind of hung out until it took effect. But then, I don't know, he wasn't going crazy. I can't tell you in the interim how it worked. Anyway, as I was mentioning very briefly, in the early half of the 20th century, there was a school of thought known as existential philosophy. Existential philosophy uh, were of the opinion that our whole purpose in life, it's quasi-Jewish, but not really Jewish, is to just actualize ourselves. We need to authenticate. We need to know who we are. And there's a, a famous people like Albert Camus were parts of it. And par- part of it, and se- several others. What se- several of their greatest um, uh, ended their life with was suicide. Because how else am I going to actualize if not with suicide? If I live in the world, well, then by definition, I'm not my own self. I'm wearing clothing to be similar to you guys. I act to be similar to you guys as well. And the only way I can actually find myself is moments before death. I'll close that to myself. So that's the Korah precursor. That's this description over here, not suicide. But if you've come to that state of being and you haven't been able to actualize, unfortunately, will force you to do so in your final moments. Okay, says the Mishnah, The truth is we find such a reality with an individual known as Achan. Achan is a character mentioned, a person mentioned in Sefer Yehoshua. Achan, very briefly, but the Mishnah will assume we know the details regarding Achan, uh, is the individual who, after Yehoshua conquered Yericho, and God commands against Yericho that there's no benefiting from any of the spoils of war against Yericho. This is during the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, we don't know anything about something about that being other than that in that moment. But then Am Yisrael goes and fights people known as the Ai. And we get, not smothered, but we get beaten in that war. And Yehoshua can't really understand what happened. God turns to him and says, it's because someone went against my will. I told you not to benefit from Yericho and this individual. He doesn't say who. And someone did benefit, Yehoshua says. But who was it? God instructs Yehoshua to cast lots, Goralot. And ultimately speaking, it falls on this guy named Achan, who confesses his wrongdoing. That's what we're referring to over here. The Achan who confesses his wrongdoing, who's now going to be sentenced to death. But before doing so, again, he confesses, She'amar lo Yehoshua, Yehoshua says to Achan, Beni, my son, uh, you know, I don't know if he envisioned him really as a son, but it's a way of speaking nicely to him. Simna kavod ladonai Elohei Yisrael, v'ten lo toda, toda, not thankfulness, but 
Confession. Confess what you did wrong. Vayan Achan et Yehoshua Vayomer. Achan responds to Yehoshua and he says to him, Omna Anochi Hatati Ladonai Elohei Israel Vekazot Vekazot Asiti. So Yaakhan indeed admits to it. Says the Mishnah, there's your, there's your, uh, your proof. That's a proof from a story. Prior to being killed, Yahushua turns to him and says to him, make your todah, make your confession. And he indeed does so. The Mishnah didn't tell us only that that's part of the process. The Mishnah said, if you do so, it achieves for you kapara. You get olam haba. How do you know that happened with Achan? Or is it me'achartanu? It says, this is immediately prior to the stoning of Achan. Vazuk says, Yehoshua says to him, You see how you've been destructive to us? That's the Achortanu. Uh, God should destroy you today. Uh, so the Derasha is, God should destroy you today. And of course, the Derasha is today as opposed to tomorrow. What do you mean today as opposed to tomorrow? He's about to drop dead. Tomorrow, there's no chance for him being destroyed. He's going to be destroyed today. The Derasha, in turn, is you'll be destroyed today. But your Olam Haba will be intact. So the response, the explanation of the Mishnah is Achan got a kapara, partial kapara, as best as he could have gotten. He has some sort of afterlife through that confession. Back to our process. If the individual is about to be put to death, be it by sekila, serifas, herig, henek, whatever it is, we've been talking about sekila, but he doesn't know how to confess. He doesn't know how to, uh, how to uh, formulate his wrongdoing, to articulate how he did wrong, what he should have done. Omrim lo, we say to him, say the following. We feed him the words. Emor, say the following. Tehe mitati kapara al kol avonotai. Don't just confess this one wrongdoing. And if you don't know how to articulate this one or others, just say, my mita, my death, should achieve for me, again, if introspected properly in this moment, for all of my wrongdoing. At what point? So Nathan's asking why the person who knows how to articulate, should he say this as well? The assumption of the Mishnah seems to be that you're not just confessing what you did wrong in this moment, but others as well. So yes, you have to imagine that others say that, but they're able to articulate at the very least what brought them to this moment, the particular sin. As Everybody who's being put to death or everybody that's about to die? No, I think it's talking about everyone who's being put to death. James is adding, what about a person who's on his deathbed or her deathbed? And indeed, and indeed, we, we do have a vidui with people prior to their death until today. If we're able to catch, catch that moment or moments leading up to death, be it the rabbi or the, anyone else who's around, there is a vidui that we say, we say, Kiryat Shema, Kabbalat Malchut Shemaim, and others. Oftentimes at that moment, at that time of life, people are no longer able to talk. Uh, we hope that their mind is working appropriately, we hope they're able to hear, and we say it next to them. We say it next to them, there's a vidui that's, that's said, there's a particular vidui, it's not so different than the everyday vidui, but you're saying a vidui prior to death, based on this Mishnah, based on our understanding that prior to death, I want to actualize myself, I want to admit and confess as to my wrongdoing and who I want to be. As well. 
that's that's the vision as well. The, the Hachamim said that death is a, excuse me, sleep is the sixtieth of death, and as a result, we're kind of confessing prior to our sixtieth of death as well. Rabbi Udaomer, let's conclude the Mishnah for the day. Rabbi Udaomer, im hayayodea shehu mezumam omer tehemitati kapara al kol avonotai chutz me avonze. Of course, the word zomem means to conspire. If this person knows or is, is of the opinion that he's been conspired against, the witnesses are false witnesses. I'm not actually liable to death, but I'm being put to death. So instead, says the Rebihuda, just say that my death should be a kapara for all my sins, aside for, for this one which they've conspired against. Amrulo the hachamim say to Rebihuda, don't give that loophole, don't allow for people to say that, because nobody will ever verbally confess that. Imken, yu kol adam omer ken, Nobody's going to want to go down to death with people thinking that he admitted to being guilty. Nobody wants the admission to death. So everybody's going to say, I hope that I have a kapara for all my sins except for this one. And as a result, you'll never have a verbal confession from the heart of a person actually admitting to what they did wrong and to therefore say the hachamim, even if you were conspired against, we teach you, we tell you, you should do a vidui for this sin, um, uh, whether you believe you did it or not. Very briefly, what we see in the Gemara today, we finished those derashot with regards to the students of, Rabbi, of Yeshua HaNosri. We went onward to the derashot from Pesukim and Tehilim with Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi as to Yeser Hara, how you slaughter it, how you do vidui, and it was a perfect segue to the next mission which described for us those halachot, that process of we do it prior to death. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.